Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Adam Klickfeld's weekly Rashi study class. We are in the middle of uh, the Rashi's on uh, chapter 5 of the book of Shemot, uh, verse 8. We got through some of the Rashi's, but not all the Rashi. So chapter 5, verse 8 of Exodus, to remind us of the verse, which I think Sue had read last time, if I'm not mistaken. Viet matkonet halabinim, the matkonet of the bricks, which we discussed a little bit what the, in terms of what the word matkonet can mean. In modern Hebrew, it's sort of like a recipe. Uh, the question is, 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 is it... Is it a quality or a quantity of the bricks that's being referred to here? Whatever it is, it's being done to make the experience of the Israelites more harsh. This is in the voice of Pharaoh. Asher Haim Osim, the, the amount or the quality of the bricks that they had been making. Tmul Shilshom, we discussed that also. You know, either it means yesterday or the day before, or it means in, in the ongoing past that they had, like a pluperfect that they had been doing. Tasimu Alehem, put that on them, like obl- obligate them. Pharaoh is telling his taskmasters, uh, continuing, Lo don't take away from it, don't reduce it. That's the other word that we haven't fully explored yet in the Rashi. They are something. They are lazy. They are, um, they are soft. We'll go, get more into it, but it's, it's, a, it's a calumny that, that Pharaoh is uh, accusing the Israelites of. Al-Kain, therefore, since they are near Pim, they are shouting out, saying, "Let us go and 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 offer sacrifices to our God." So Rashi, as we started exploring last time, is interested in the Al Kain, even though he doesn't name it specifically. There's something about the fact that they are near Pim, whatever near Pim means, which is leading them to call to go out for like a sabbatical and pray to their God. And if they were less near Pim, then they wouldn't have to ask for this, you know, r- you know, ridiculous break from work, as it were. Okay, so that's where we are. I think we did the Rashi on Matkona um, Halbanim, where Rashi weighs in saying this is not recipe like how it is made, but amount. First thing he does is say it's schum, which is how Uncleus translates the word Matkona anyway, and schum is a total, like a, 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 the 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 amount of it. The amount of the number of the brook that each of them would make every day when the straw had been given to them. Even now, place that upon their shoulders as responsibility. That the avodah, the labor, will be heavy, will be a burden upon them. Okay? Um, and I think we also read the second Rashi. The Kinir Pim, and Rashi is later on in this comment going to actually go more into what the word means, but it's it's interesting order. First, he tells you what the phrase means, and then he goes into the vocabulary. Kinir Pim, he adds in a preposition, min havudahim. Whatever he thinks near Pim means, he thinks it's begging a preposition. They are near Pim from the work. Once Rashi adds in the word mean, it makes it harder for us to translate near Pim as being soft or lazy as if it is describing their constituency, their, not their constitution, the quality. He's saying that it, it, it means something vis-a-vis the work. They are pulled back. They are restrained. We'll, we'll go into it. But that mean, that from suggests that he doesn't mean, think the word means something that just describes them, 
um, itself, but describes the relationship to the work. And because they are nirpim from this work that I want them to do, therefore, they have all this free time. Had they been overly focused on work, they wouldn't have be, be able to, you know, what do you call it? Um, daydream. But now they have all this free time. Therefore, their hearts, pone, are turning el habatala to frivolous stuff, to the, to the opposite of productivity. But so akim more, and they are shouting out say. Okay? So it's such an interesting accusation of a, of a tyrant, right? Like the, we could spend three hours in this conversation, right? How dare they stop from the relentless work? Because when they do, guess what? They start developing all these thoughts about what they could do with their freedom. Like, I, I don't want them doing that. If, if they're so burdened from morning till evening with backbreaking labor, they won't have time to dream about prayer, which is why the, um, the, the, even the time-bound obligations that we have in Judaism, as, as, which we got at Sinai, right, in response to being left from Egypt, is considered a gift because even though we're, we're obligated to do it in a certain time, we are free people who can choose to accept that obligation, right? We can choose to accept the obligation to be at Minyan at 7.30 in the morning, as it were, which is very different. And we can choose to allow our minds to, to go, which is very different than if they were a true tyrant putting such obligations upon us. That's, I believe, as far as we got. Um, and the next, the next piece of Rashi is to go into the vocabulary of Makonet and Nirpim a little more closely. Barry? Well, just uh, the, the other side of that, the, the ultra-Orthodox, um, uh, they feel imposed upon to, in prayer, all 24-7, uh, uh, always in, in prayer and in some mode, because of the idleness of, of the evil force will attract them elsewhere. You're absolutely right, right? And it's very easy to poo-poo that. I remember the first time my my parents told me about very, 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 very religious cousins we have in Jerusalem, non-Hasidic, but extremely Haredi, ultra-Orthodox cousins, who, they, that when, um, when we greeted them, we visited them, they forget about, um, you know, the, the, the man greeting my mother and extending a hand or a hug, uh, wouldn't even look at her. I was like nine years old, eight years old. My father said, you know, uh, and the reason is because lest they have lewd thoughts, right? And for those of us who live in our society, we find a, that to be, you know, in, in extreme to the point of being, um, you know, anti-religious and neurotic, right? I mean, you can you control your thoughts, um, but that is a very common notion of modesty in the ultra-Orthodox community. I won't even allow myself to go into a situation where once I'm in that situation, aware of the human condition, I might have thoughts that I'd rather not have. Now, isolated that from a religious neurosis, that makes sense. We're all trying to train our children and ourselves to not put ourselves in situations which once there will lead us to think or do things that we'd rather not. But we all, we put the lines somewhere different. But what Barry is saying is absolutely correct, that if you're living in an in a, um, absolutist religious community, the very things that your minds might go to if you allowed yourself to watch TV or allowed yourself to read secular material, since, since you know that your mind will go there, you're not going to go to the place that will take you there. And again, we who live in a more fused relationship with the modern society consider that to be archaic and bizarre, but the, the psychology of it has merit. 
just will put the lines differently. And so the psychology, the warped psychology behind uh, Pharaoh's notion here is actually very much in line with the human condition, right? And if you want to control your population, then don't even give them a chance to, time to think about what they could do if they weren't in your presence. So that's, uh, it ends up being in a short comment by Rashi. Uh, actually, it's really directly from the text, a really interesting statement about what it is to control another, right? And, and what it is, and, and for us to ask ourselves what it is we are controlled by or who, whom we are controlled by, um, such that we don't, we can't even pull away to think. Okay. Now we go into the, um, the, um, meanings of matkonet and nirpim, which are the two hardest vocabulary words in the, um, in the verse. Uh, Joanne, are you at a place where you can read the Rashi on matkonet? Sure. Um, matkonet v'tochen levenim. V'lonit kenu alilot from uh, Shmuel Aleph. Eta kesef ha-metukan from Malachim Bet. Kol ashon cheshbon hem. Um, so mitkonet, it, um, it refers to, um, I would say the makeup, the contents, the recipe of the bricks. Um, and then it brings two references. Velonit kenu alilot from Shmuel Aleph Perakbet, which I know is Hanas Tfilah, but I can't quite put together the connection here. Right. So I'm pulling up on the screen, Joanna. <coughs> Excellent um, association with where it is in the book of Samuel. So if you just go back a little bit, uh, so Hana starts to daven. This is the uh, amazing scene where Hana is praying and she's thought of as a drunkard because who would imagine a woman would be meditating in prayer with her lips moving? And interestingly, in the fifth parak of, of Masechet Brachot, an enormous amount of the halacha, the Jewish law, learned about um, or at least associated uh, to the rituals of Tzilah are learned from Hannah's posture and behavior in the scene. And then she starts praying and she prays poetry. So this is like, that. These, these are all hard phrases. My heart rejoices in God. You can see in the, transla- in, the, in the translation English that all these footnotes mean that it's very hard to figure out what these words mean. Something like my, my Karen, my, my, my glow is high up with God. The rachaf pi al oivai, my mouth is wide upon my enemies, which understood to be a gloating. Kisamachti bishuatecha, I rejoice in your deliverance. Ain kadosh kadonai, there's no god like you. Ki ain botecha, there's no one like you. The ain sur kelohinga, there's no rock like you. And now to the verse that we're talking about. Al tarbu tidabru gvohag voah. Don't do more of tarbu rav tidabru speaking gvohag voah in a haughty way. Yetse atak mitpichem. There's the, the, the negative continues in the phrase, even though it's the word low isn't there. Do not let atak, you know, um, highfalutin, arrogant speech leave your mouth. Ki el deot Adonai, for God is, it's translated as all-knowing. God is a God of knowledge, el deot. And this is a really interesting thing here. Um, low as a homophone, homonym, Low can be spelled Lamed Vav and Lamed Aleph, and it means entirely two different things. And of course, if it's an oral tradition, 
and you're one of the first people to write it down, you have to figure out which one it was. Low with an Aleph is no, it negates. Low with an Avav is to him. So if it's um, the low nitkanu alilot, then it would mean something like alilot, which has to do with like a plot or a uh, development of an idea um, are, are, are not uh, established with God. Or if it's the low vav, it's to, to God, nitkanu are konained all of these um, all of these deeds, all these actions, translated here as by him, actions are measured. The most significant thing for our purposes is the, is the notion that it seems to be um, a full knowledge of everything that's happening, and therefore the need canoe is an amount, not a not a um, a quality of whatever is being considered. And God, being el deot, according to Hana has within God's comprehension all of the alilot, all the things, all the plots, all the happenings, all of them are, are comprehended and known by God. Okay? That's what that verse means there. And then what was the next one? Etakesef hamatukan. Let's go to the next second. Okay. So this is from uh, Malachim Bet, 12th, uh, 12th chapter of the second book of Kings. Um, verse 12. What's the verse? V'natnu etakesaf hametuchan al yedei or al yad osem lacha. They would take uh, the money, and I'm going to untranslate metuchan here, um, and they would bring it to the overseers of the work. This has to do with, you know, berakabayit, um, the ongoing re- um, work that was done to preserve the temple. Well, in context, Mituchan seems to be about uh, an amount rather than the quality. It's not that they took the, um, the, 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 the money that had been prepared in a certain way. It's not uh, uh, um, like the notion of Muchan meaning ready and prepared, but the entirety of it. It's even translated here with a footnote suggesting that they're not sure what the word means. That was weighed out, the money that was weighed out an amount. So Rashi is using these two verses from Shmuel Aleph and Melachim Bet to suggest that mituchan or that root, in addition to meaning content, recipe, stuff, also means amount, the total, um, the total sum of what was there. And as Joanna read, kulam l'shon cheshbonhem, all the language of cheshbon, um, math, the amounts of it. Okay, so um, that's why I say on mituchan. And uh, it's not particularly uh, illuminating other than to disabuse us of the notion that the word might have meant something having to do with quality. Questions, comments, reactions before I have Joanna read the next section? Joanna. Uh, Well, it's interesting because it, you know, especially with the second reference, if it's a weighing out and a measuring of, you know, each piece of kasef and remember that, you know, in those days, you know, like I think we're literally talking about, you know, certain, you know, measures of silver that were accounted for. And, um, you know, Hashem accounting for each and every deed, then the analogy can be drawn to Paro, that Paro is doing an accounting of each and every brick. Hmm. That's really nice. Uh, It's nice because it also brings up the inversion of, it's comparing Pharaoh and God again, right? But, um, but, it, but in an inverted comparison, right? So 
being burdened by the incessant labors of Pharaoh versus being blessed by being able to live a life having embraced God's responsibilities on us. And uh, the notion of a miserly and venal tyrant counting out every single brick to make sure that the slaves were doing as much as they did yesterday versus like the, the you know, the, the counter for all of the shkalim that are going to come in and help make the, the temple beautiful, right? So um, the, the same act of counting out can be seen as uh, obsessive and oppressive or towards mitzvah, towards sanctity, right? Um, it's fresh in my mind. I'm thinking about what Michael uh, Harris, our wonderful Gabbai, looks like when he empties the, uh, the pushki in shul. You know, you, you could make the argument that he looks like the classic image of a, of a Jewish money counter, right? He's, he's pouring out the pushki and every dollar and every, and, and every quarter and every nickel that's in there, he's counting out. But it's the shame mitzvah. He's trying to make sure that every single penny that was, that was dedicated to tzedakah is making it to the right place compared to a, uh, an overbearing supervisor who's counting every minute that someone is in the office. Not every hour, every minute, right? Or every, you know, micro act of production that would be considered a, uh, a punctiliousness that would be oppressive and tyrannical and pharaonic. Um, so your comment, Joanna, like even reinforces the, the, the inversion of such a comparison. Thank you for that. Okay. Uh, let's keep going on to the other word that he's already dealt with in terms of telling us the storyline, but now he's going to get into the language. Nirpim. Nirpim. Hamlacha refuya viadam va'azuva mehem vehem nirpim imana. I mean, best guess retreat balaz. Okay. Um, the work was soft in their hands and therefore it left them um, and they themselves were softened from it. Um, and he gives the, the, the word in his French for it. Right. Anyone want to give a guess as to what French word with an English cognate is being produced by retrait? I don't even know how is it's it, spelled. Is it retreat? retreat? Like, I think so. So, so look at this. I'll share two more things from my screen. Uh, oh, one second. I almost ended the meeting by accident. Um, first, let me show you BDB on the root Rafa. Right. So, so what's what's Rashi really playing with? So Rafa uh, has several different meanings. Sink down to go down, sink slash drop, or lose heart and energy, relax and abate. I think Rashi is going into that reading, right? To um, relax and abate. Interestingly, uh, BDB gives us a jackpot. He says in the Nifal, in the word Nirpim, in our verse, it means idle, the, which means, interestingly, that Rashi is disagreeing with BDB because Rashi is saying, that the word doesn't mean, doesn't describe them as a them, but describes their relationship to the work, which means I think that Rashi agrees with this relaxed abate one, right? They are, they abated from doing the things that I expect them to do, as opposed to just calling them idle. And then if you look here, this is the, Aunt Safari amazingly has the Otsara Lashon Rashi. So here's our source, Shemot 5.5 near Pim. 
retrait, right? It there, he's this one is spelling it out in English as R-E-T-R-E-I-T, him an ut, from the root mana, which means to prevent, like to to be to be pulled back from. Um, um yeah, to 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 retreat, to be to be not as engaged as you had been. Okay. So um let me stop there and see if there's any comments. Renee? I just wanted to ask if it's um, related at all to the word rofer or rifua. Uh, I don't think so. I think that there, it, 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 there's, a, there's a sound that it's connected to. Um, but different shorish? Yeah. I think the, I mean, in that, in that understanding of language that sometimes, as we've discussed, the two first two letters of a root are connected in like a, in a, in a bigger part of the taxonomy, right? So it could be that Reish Pei Hei and Reish Pei Aleph and other Reish Pei three-letter roots are in the same family, but it's a it's an entirely different show Reish, Reish Pei Aleph and Reish Pei Hei. And Refu'ah always has an Aleph in it. Uh, Rebecca Leonard? I uh, just wanted to say that the Rafa also means one of the Begit Kefet letters that doesn't have a digation in it. Right, because it, exactly right, because it's a, it's, a, it's a softer version of that letter, correct? It's a it's a it's a letter that's retreating from its full um, consonantal possibility. Great, um, Larry Diane. Well, Alter has an interesting note about this. He says the contemptuous term invoked here by Egypt's head slave owner Nirpin is derived from a verbal root that means to relax, to loosen one's grip, to let go. Is the very verb that's used in Verse 26 in chapter 4, when, threat, when the threatening deity of the bridegroom of blood episode let him go. Right, by Yirafimeno, correct. I'm so glad you, you, you reminded us of that because I had forgotten to make that connection. Keep by going. Yiref, yeah, by Yirafimeno. Right, so if you all turn back to uh, verse 26, the end of the previous chapter, and the end of that odd scene with the with the circumcision and the and Zipporah and the flint, the way that the scene ends is that whoever was, whoever was doing what, Vayiref Mimenu, the way we translate it is released, um, released it. We weren't sure if the it was the foreskin or the person. I remember one reading of it was that which kind of threw it down onto the ground. Um, uh, Everett Fox translated that one, Vayiref Mimenu, as thereupon he released him, and he translates Nirpim in our verse um, as lax. So Everett Fox is actually reading these two uses of the root reish pei hei very differently. He's reading vayiref the way Rashi is reading Nirpim, but he's reading Nirpim as if it's his own adjective describing them, not describing something with respect to the work that they were expected to do. Good. Okay. Um, anyone else on near Pim? Next time uh, you can you can use that accusation if someone's not doing the work they're expecting them to do. Okay, um, let's move on. Uh, Joanna, you just got a little half Rashi there, so why don't you continue and read uh, verse nine? <laughs> Ve'al yishu b'divrei shaker. Um, um, 
make heavier the work on the people um, and, and let them do it. Um, and don't pay attention to words of, of lying. Don't pay attention to their lies. Great. And I'm curious what in your mind led you to translate Al Yishu as pay attention. Was it contact or is it some association with that root elsewhere? No, it was just like I got the sh- the shaker and just co- exactly context in the situation. What what could be the lie? What could, it? could be? So hold that thought because Baruch Shekivant, w- w- <laughs> one of the things that Rosh is going to say the verb does not mean pay attention. <laughs> but you come by it honestly because there are other verses in the Torah where you could read Shin I and Hey as meaning pay attention. Okay, um, so let's hold that for a second, right? Uh, we'll li- listen to what Rick has to say, and then um, we'll look at Uncle Ed. I'm just going to mute you while you're not talking because there's uh, noise in the background. Thank you. Um, Rick, Rick. Yeah, I was going to ask about the noise, whether it was from your uh, yours or Joanna's, but uh, I like kid noise generally. As do I. <laughs> anyway, um, I just think it's... It's cute. It's a coincidence. I don't know what it is, but uh, for Pharaoh to say Tichbad, and the whole thing with Pharaoh is that his his heart is going to be kaved. It's going to be hardened. So um, he says, "Let it be hard on them," and it's going to come back to him ten times or whatever you want to say about it. But um, that's great. That's anyway. a great pickup. Um, in, in the roots that use regarding Pharaoh's heart in the 10 plagues is both Kabed and Chazak, right? By a Chazak at Leif Pharaoh. And sometimes Pharaoh's doing it to himself and sometimes God's doing it to him. But that's, that, that's a, it's a wonderful comparison, right? He, you know, he's, he's going to be, he's going to create a Kevet, a Kvedu to heaviness. He's also going to experience it. Right. And uh, let me also say, I know Tova's the uh, Egypt expert, but Again, when you when you die, the the gods weigh your heart against all your bad um, uh, actions, and and um, if if your heart is is light, then you get to go on to heaven. If if your bad actions are more uh, heavy, then you don't. Uh, you go to hell um, in the Egyptian world. So I, I there's always that there in, in my head that um, uh, the the Torah never brings up, but. Um, there is that weighing of the heart at the end of uh, a Pharaoh's life kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Thank you. I don't think Tova's here today to weigh in on that issue. And see her. Um, Renee and then Larry Diane. So similar to what, to the way Joanna was translating it, Everett Fox also does it similar to that and says, let the servitude weigh heavily on the men. They shall have to do it so that they pay no more regard. Yeah. The false words. Right. Great. So you're in great company, Joanna. And as we'll see in the Rashi, because he, he makes reference to the verse that you might be thinking of, which but he doesn't want you to think that. Uh, one comes by that reading of Shin Ayan Hei, uh, honestly. Um, and uh, either you can look ahead or maybe some of you may even know the verse. Uh, Rick might know it as a, as a, as a laner. Um, Larry, Diane, and Rebecca? This is more of a comment than a question. So the Pharaoh, Pharaoh's talking to the taskmasters but he's talking about the people. So I don't know whether I misheard Joanna or maybe I'm just, it seems to me that 
what what he's saying at the end of the at the end of the sentence is um, let let the 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 Hebrews continue to do the work so that the Hebrews won't be pay attention to the to the lies. He's not saying don't pay attention to the task. Maybe nobody thinks this, but he's not telling the taskmasters don't pay attention to their lies. So there's two different translations by Alter and by. Um, Larry, before you give me those translations, can you just say that again? Because I couldn't, I didn't follow even the question before the question. Say it again. Well, I want to clarify that the sentence is talking to the taskmasters, but it's talking about the Hebrews. So when it says, right, she she agrees. When it says, Yeshu, Shin. Sorry, it's not saying to the taskmasters, don't pay attention to their lies. It's saying so that the Hebrews won't pay attention to their own lies. I think you're correct. I think that that's the pshat, that, that, that the verbs in the, in the sentence are with respect to what the Israelites are doing, not what the taskmasters are doing to them, except for the tichbad. And the tichbad is, is a, like, it's a stative verb. It's, let, let that be their, let, let this work be heavy upon them so that they, the they upon whom the work will be, will not, will, will do it, the work, and, and they won't show it to, the, to, 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 uh, words of lies. And even the words of lies are interesting. And after we get to the questions, we'll look at Uncleus because Uncleus gives a really interesting commentary on what this verse means simply by his translation. But that, I think you're right about that. So then what's your, what's the next sentence? Well, I was going to read the two translations, which I think are pretty clear. So I may be the only one that confused myself. Maybe nobody else was confused at all that he was telling the taskmasters not to pay attention. Um, Alter simply, Alter has, has the verse pretty um, briefly. He says, let the work be heavy on the men and let them do it and not look to lying words. Let not what? What's the last one? Not, not look to lying words. Look to. Interesting. Okay. And and um, Kaplan has make the work heavier for the men and make sure that they do it, period. Then they will stop paying attention to false ideas. So I think Kaplan's translation is really clear in terms of what the intent is. There's causality there, it, which we were talking about before. If you make them work, then they won't be able to be distracted. Right. They agree on the on what the verb means, the looking to or paying attention, but, but, but Kaplan is making the, the, the causation a little bit stronger. And both of them, uh, um, disagree with Rashi, which is fine, which, which makes this all the more interesting. Um, but so far we have not yet said in English the way that Rashi thinks this verse ought to be, ought to be understood, but, but we'll get there. Rebecca? Um, I'm not sure if this is how Rashi understands it because I don't really understand the Rashi. But um, and I I don't know if my comment is correct because I don't have um, good enough control of the form of the binyanim of these um, verbs. But I one of the ways I read it was I yeshu from the word yeshua, so they wouldn't be saved by um, these lying words. So don't let them get saved from the hard work. By listening to the from the the the, um, the lying words. Yeah, it. 
I, I would say to that 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 is elegant and probably not etymologically supported um, because it, it's pretty clear in the form of the verb that the yud of, yish, of yishu is not the yud in the root, and therefore the root is not yud shin ayin, which would be yeshua, salvation, but the yud of yishu is the future, uh, third-person masculine singular future, like, you know, yidabru or yishma'u or whatever, and therefore the root is shin ayin, and the last letter of the root is a hey, which is dropped off in this um, form, like yifnu, they will turn. The root is pei nun hey, but when the, the hey is the third letter of a root, it often drops out in certain forms. So it's, uh, it, it's, it's evocative. Uh, I just don't know if it's etymologically supported, reading it as, um, uh, as salvation or Yeshua. Uh, Barry, and then we're going to look at BDB, and then we're going to look at Uncleus, and then we're going to look at Rashi. Well, I just want to clear up this uh, uh, lies. Uh, what's the lies? Um, we have two realities. We have God's reality and we have Pharaoh's reality. Uh, Pharaoh does not recognize the other reality. Therefore, all of that is fake news. As, uh, um, and uh, he, by imposing the more work, then there's no time. There's no ability to be focused on the other fake news, God's reality. Hmm. Good. Good. Um, okay. Let's actually read Uncleus first, and then I, I want to do it in that order. So look what Uncleus does here. So the root is to, every, is there anyone who does not have Uncleus such that I should pull it up on the, I feel like everyone who has a Rashi should have Uncleus nearby. Speak up if you don't have an Uncleus in front of you and you're text to Rashi, because if, if so, I'll pull up this Uncleus on the screen. Okay. Um, he translates Tichbad as Titakaf from the root Takaf, which means strength. Make it harder. Uh, you know that from Adihiro. Takifu, one of the things we describe about God is God is strong. Tokef, the, the strength of something. Titakaf palchana. Palchana is that Aramaic word meaning service or work. It means in Aramaic, as in Hebrew, the root means both tefillah, um, uh, worship, like avdut, and also slavery or work. Titakaf palchana al-guvraya. Let the work be strong, meaning strongly burdening upon them. Vit askunba from root esek to do it to be to be busy with they will be busy with it so he translates yaasu from the root ose to asak he basically turns ose into asak let them be um, let them be busy with it and then look what he does he uses the same Aramaic word word for yaasu as for yishu and let them not itaskun may, may let them not be busy with. Bepitkamin, words, betelin, frivolous, senseless, you know, the opposite of productivity. So I would love to interview Uncleus. Hey, Uncleus, were you conscious of what you're doing here? Were you seeing the verb yasu and the verb yishu and unconsciously somehow switching around the order of the ayin and the shin? And therefore you're thinking that the two Hebrew words are really the same root. That's why you're translating it into Aramaic in the same way. Or are you just being a little bit of paraphrase and you're saying what it's really dealing with here is, is to be busy with, to focus on. They should focus on this and not focus on that. And uncle, as you think that even though the, the Torah used two Hebrew roots, as you're paraphrasing it or translating into the lingua franca of what the Israel, Jews spoke back then, you're using the same root. I'm just fascinated by it because Oseh 
and Sho'eh, right? The Oseh from Ba'ya'asu and Sho'eh, Sha'ah from Ayushu are entirely different words, but he's trans- putting them into one Aramaic word. And interestingly, he does not use the Aramaic word for lie. She- we are trained to think of Sheker as meaning a lie, a falsehood, right? And that, um, uh, we come by that honestly too. There are, you know, uh, we have obligations not to lie in the Torah, and the word sheker is used. There is an Aramaic word for sheker. Betelin is not it. So he's somehow rendering it as not a sheker as a lie, but the type of words and speech that would distract you from the things that are significant, at least according to Pharaoh. Right? Dvarim pitkamim betelin. Dvarim betelin. Interestingly, in modern Hebrew, dvarim betelin is an idiom for like pillow talk. Right. Um, you know, when you whisper sweet nothings to your beloved, it's just, you know, silly things that don't mean much, except that they're very significant in the relationship. So I thought that was interesting. Any thoughts on uncles before we uh, go forward? I see that Joanna had to leave for a little bit. Um, let's look at BDB and then we'll look at Rashi. BDB does not help so much here. Where are you, BDB? Okay. Sha'a. So he basically says it means to gaze, to look closely, which is what it means in the verse that Rashi does not want us to think is the, is the comparison to this verse, which we'll get to later. And it's the verse from which you could potentially draw the meaning that what this means is pay attention. That's the first thing BDB says, to gaze, to look steadily at. Um, and right, so then he says, when it's with the preposition b or l, sorry, when it's when it's with the position of preposition of b, it has to do with words or statutes. Um, but he doesn't give us any translation of shoeh that is anything different than pay attention to, look at, or gaze. Which means that what Rashi is about to say does not seem to be supported at least by the, the, the modern biblical scholars of language. It doesn't mean he's wrong. They could be wrong too, but he, they don't, he, he doesn't give a second uh, definition of Sha'ah, which is in line with, um, with our word. Okay. So now let's, uh, let me call on someone else because Joanna is not available. Uh, Stevie. Let me, okay. Um, just one thing that Uncle Lewis made me think about is sort of, you know, are there two things happening in this verse or are there three things happening in this verse, right? Is it like step one, the work will be hard. Step two, they'll be busy with it. Step three, they're not going to be busy with anything else. Or are those last two things really, because the way Uncle Lewis has it, it's really com- sort of combining them into like one th- one state of affairs is that they're doing this and not that. Yeah. Because he's uh, conflating the words and the trope, for what it's worth, seems to make it into three things because it puts Yasuba in the first half of the verse and not the second half of the verse. Excellent point, Stevie. If you, if everyone's picking up on that, the way you would lane the verse suggests that the last phrase is really separated from the first two. And they will do it. They'll do their work because you've made it, you made their burdens heavy on them. Pause. 
and they're not gonna and and, and they're also not gonna pay attention to stupid things or they're not gonna they're not going to engage or give their attention to things that don't matter as if that's a separate idea. Great. And again, the Trump is a commentary, right? And and the Trump's the commentary of the Trump may or may not be correct. Rick, you're you're unmuted. Were you unmuted? You are unmuted. Um no, I didn't. Oh. I'm okay. Okay. Good. Good pickup uh, on Steve. Uh, let's see. Um, Carol, you in a place where you can pick up from Joanna and read the Rashi? Is Carol there? Sorry, I'm in a meeting. I can't. Who hasn't spoken yet today that um, may want to read? Uh, Joel, do you want to read um, the, uh, the next Rashi? Um, I don't know what Yahagu is. Do you know that root? Hey, Gimel, hey. It's connected to Lahagid, even though Lahagid has a dal at the end. But yes, hey, Gimel, hey is to speak, is to, is to uh, verbalize something. Okay. Um, so they will not, uh, speak and say, uh, constantly, um, um, ephemeral or, I don't know what the word is. Uh, I think that's perfect. I think ephemeral is exactly right. right? Literally words of wind, but things that to Pharaoh's perspective are senseless and useless and have no, and and whatever they're doing, they're not building bricks, right? Groundless. Groundless. Good. Right. So. The first thing we notice from Rashi is that whatever he thinks Yeshu means, it doesn't mean pay attention to. It doesn't mean turn towards. It has to do with speech. He's literally translating Yeshu as Yehegubi Dabru, to utter, articulate, and to speak. Let them not continue to chatter about these uh, ridiculous things. Such as Lemor. Lemor, let us go and sacrifice. Okay, so pause right there. He's about to take us on a Tanakh tour. And it's a re- it's to some really obscure places. And my sense of why he's going to take us on the following tour is that he knows that there's a much more obvious um, verse to connect this to, which he'll get to at the end of the commentary. And therefore, he has to work really hard to find other places in Tanakh that are not places that you necessarily find on your own. Once again, reminding us of unbelievably encyclopedic his understanding of Tanakh was to get to make the impression that it, it's this these uses of that root that are true in this verse, not the other ones. So I'm going to bring them all up as you, as they come across. One second. Um, okay. Tehillim. One nineteen. All right. So here's this first one. These three words. Um, interestingly, was it, was it Rebecca who said before, was wondering about the connection between Sho'eh and Yeshua. Uh, Psalms is aware of how similar they sound. And so there's, there are, there's definitely pun in this verse because the first half of the word, the first half of the verse is the root Yeshua, the Ivashaya, and the second half of the root is Versus the esh the esh ah, I don't think Psalms thinks of the same roots, 
but Sam is aware that they are alliterative or they're assonant with each other, and therefore it makes for good poetry, right? Psalm 119 is the psalm uh, that has the most number of verses in it. Uh, it's a triple acrostic, um, uh, or actually more than a triple acrostic. It's, it's, it's several different verses. Maybe it's a six-time acrostic, I forgot, with um, several different verses beginning with the same letter. And so what's happening in this verse? Sa'adeni ve'ivashaya. Sa'ad means to, um, um, like su'da, a meal. Sustain me. Sa'ad sa'adeni. Uh, I lived for many months in kibbutz Sa'ad, which is in the south. Ve'ivashaya. And I will be redeemed. I will be saved. Sa'adeni ve'ivashaya. Ve'esha bechukecha tamid. I will blank with respect to your laws always. I suppose one could t- you translate this as I will turn to, which is one of the ways that we, we were thinking about learning our verse. But Rashi at least reads this verse as not to just turn to, but to speak of them. And it's translated here as muse. Muse is somewhere in between direct speech and just paying attention to. There's, there's, some, there's some dialogue in the mind when one is music. Okay? So that's the first one Rashi brings us to. Okay. Uh, next one, Joel. Um, um, le mashal ulishnina. I keep reading. Umatargaminan. Matargaminan ulishoai. So this is something that Rashi does, I think, when he's stretching far. When he's trying to give a proof text to help us know what a word means in our verse, sometimes he takes us to biblical verses that have that root, and sometimes... He takes us to biblical verses that when uncle has translated that verse into Aramaic, that's where the root appears. And is it to say that somewhere in the ancient Semitic forms, whether it's Hebrew or Aramaic, this root meant that. Okay, so this is a more uh, commonly known verse. This is um, in Parshat Kitavo, in the end of the Tochacha, the rebuke that God gives to the Israelites. V'hayita l'shama l'mashal v'lishnina. Uh, God's going to have, God drove you out in the previous verse. And to the people in whose lands you live, you're going to be a shama having to do with some kind of destruction. Mashal, it's interesting, a proverb. I, I, I never understood what the word mashal meant in that verse. So when we get to Parshat Kitavo, we'll go deeper into it. And you'll be a shnina. Whatever a shnina is, look how Uncleus translates it. Uncleus Anarim says, you're going to be a tzadu, a matal, matal you can see as mashal, just rendered in Aramaic, and a sho'e. Sho'e is shin, ayin, he, root. And what does shnina mean in context here? A, um, um, like a, a thorn that people are going to speak about. That's the, that's the movement here. That God predicts that I'm going to send you all these lands and you're going to be like it's weird calling it a proverb. You're going to be a the object of people's negative talk. That's what the shnina is, and that's rendered in Aramaic as shoe, suggesting that the root, at least in Aramaic, shun shin ayin hey or shin ayin yud, can mean something spoken about. Put that back into our verse, and ba'al yishu shakar, they shall not speak of, they shall not articulate words of frivolity. Uh, Norm, was your hand up? You you address it. <laughs> without okay. being asked. Okay. Baruch Shakiva. Okay. Um, next, next one. Vesaper, Vishtai, Vesaper, 
the ishtai. Okay, so yeah. now that he's gone in the route of looking for a verb, who is which is translated by Uncleus into the root that we're trying to decipher, he brings us to later on in Parshat in, in the book of Shavuot. Now look at the screen again, chapter 18, Parshat Chotno, Parshat Yitro, right? So uh, look at verse 7, Moses goes out to greet his father-in-law, he bowed down and he kissed him, each, each of them asked each other how they were doing, they went to the tent, and then a very easy to understand and translate Hebrew word, he told his father-in-law the story, Sipur, Look how Uncleus translates Vaisapir. There are simpler Aramaic words for telling, but Uncleus translates it as the Ishta'e. He Sha'ad to his father-in-law the story. This is the clearest one yet that there is a use of Shin Ayan He, certainly in Aramaic, that simply means to speak of, to talk about, to tell the story of. Okay? So those are his, I think, three, three or four verses. Um that are trying, one of them taking us to an actual biblical root, Sha'ah, uh, that's the one from Psalms, and two others taking us to biblical roots that are translated by Unculus into Sha'ah, having to deal with speech. And now he starts to tell us why he doesn't think we should think what we might have thought. This goes back to Joanna's original translation. Um, but before I get to that, it sounds, it's more than just saying, it's actually, it's, it's more like repeating. It's like not, it's not original thought, right? At least the examples that you pulled up. Interestingly, would you say that also about Vayasaper Moshe? Yeah, that, yeah. well. Like retelling? Retelling, exactly. Retelling, interesting. So they're not uh, making false words, they're just repeating them. It's like an over and over again quality to them. Okay, V'yafshar. V'yafshar lomar, yish'u lashon v'yish'adonai El Havel Vegomer Vaal Kain Vaal Minhato Lotaa. Okay, so this is the root, this is the, the verse that 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 people who know the Torah well would most think is connected to this root. Um, because if I'm not mistaken, you remember how Uncle is, how Rashi took us to three examples. One was Psalms. The root was there, and then two other were Torah, but the root wasn't there. It was just that Uncleus rendered it that way. I think this verse, which I'll pull up in a second, is the only other verse in Torah where Shin Ayin Hey is even potentially used in this way. And this is Kayan and Hevel, Cain and Abel. Right? So what happens in the Cain and Abel story? Right? Um, that uh, Cain is born, um, Hevel is born. Hevel becomes a roetzon, a shepherd. Kayan is an obeyed Ademah, he's a farmer, but they're each involved in some form of working the land. It happened in the course of time. Kayan decided to, to take, the, take stuff from his, his uh, agricultural land as a mincha, as a gift to God. And Hevel said, I'm not going to be outdone. And he brought Mibchorotsono from the choicest of his sheep, Umechel Behen, and for their, their the, the fattiest parts of the animal. Vayisha Adonai El Hevel Viminchato. The first murder in human history, according to the Torah, happens because God is Shoeh to Hevel and to his offering. In context, he paid attention to. 
He gave, he, he gazed at, this is BDB's use of the word Shoah. He looked really closely at it. How does it translate here? Paid heed to it. But the original gift that Kain had brought from the land, lo sha'ah. This is not the word sha'ah meaning hour or time. It did not pay attention to. There is no way to read these verses having to do with speech. Right? It just wouldn't make sense. It's just obvious that it's God's possibly paying attention to. Rashi says, I know, reader, that you know the Torah and that your brain is going to go to this verse because it's the first time that this ver- root is used in this way in the Torah. And it's a well-known story. You all know Cain and Abel. And you're going to say, ah, it means the same thing in our verse in Shemot as amend in Breshid. And I'm going to say no. And the reason why I'm going to say no, Rashi says, is because of prepositions. And we're only going to get partially through this. Um, but keep going, Joel. All right. Um, I don't know where we are anymore. Um, at the end of the quote, uh, Pause. Right. Shalomar. It's it's it's. Im- don't say that what al yishu in our verse means is al yifnu, which means to turn to, pay attention to. Even though that's yes, what it meant in the fourth chapter of Reishit. Why she came? She imkain al el Oh. Uh, or le, or so what if you use the preposition L or le if it's talking about listening to? Good. Your your audio is a little bit uh, shaky, Joel, but I think I heard you say it exactly correctly. Rashi is saying, if the root, shin, ayin, hey, has to do with paying attention or gazing, it requires the preposition L or le, to. In English, too, pay attention to, gaze at, right? And however pluripotent Hebrew prepositions are, and they can be more than one thing. In this case, L and L is very different than B. We have, and I know we're down a rabbit hole of just L's and B's, we have Ba'al Yishu B'divrei Sheker. Had it been Ba'al Yishu El Divrei Sheker, Rash said, fine, let the Nayab not pay attention to ridiculous words. But it's not L, it's not L. And then he has this interesting phrase, and we'll, we'll end um, here, Kichen Gizrat Kulam. Gizra here he means as kind of a grammatical rule, for that is the grammatical rule of all the places that Shin Ayin Hey is used with respect to pay, paying attention to. And next week we'll get to his examples. It's always an L, always a L. But if it's a B, it's got to mean something else. So uh, I we're, we're not ending on any kind of like a apex here, but mid-Rashi trying to help us really understand with real precision and clarity what a verb means and what a verb does not mean. Um, when it, when all of the dust settles, we know what the verse is talking about, but we're doing a, a slow critical read, and so we're trying to extract every possible meaning. So we'll end there. We'll pick up um, right on that spot next week uh, with the final example that Rashi is going to give us. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.